Hello, Jordan. <laughs> What's going on, Michael? Not much, man. How are you? Feeling good, man. How are you feeling? You feel great. You had a great sleep last night? I had a great sleep. We just had a nice hour and a half live stream with the mentorship and now hitting a podcast. Dude, sleep is the game. <laughs> or let me let me phrase that differently. Being sleep deprived is such a disadvantage. Oh, yeah. In every possible way. Preach. Keep going on that. <laughs> I don't, you know, you might be expecting a study, maybe a meta-analysis to back this up, maybe a, you know, a series of clients who have stories that will be beneficial to you, but I'm just going to go straight N equals one. I had two nights of subpar quality, subpar duration sleep. And it basically took me four days to get back. And during the course of those four days, my cravings for like, call it uh, food to boost my mood was higher than I ever remember them being. Um, my ability to like think clearly or have physical energy were both down. I was just in a massive sleep deficit. And I slept 12 and a half hours last night. Like I told you, went to bed at eight o'clock, woke up feeling absolutely fresh and uh and now i'm back but i just think about how many people in the world are in you know subpar situations for sleep that 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 aren't necessarily within their control right like there are going to be times new baby like whatever crazy times at work where you're sleep deprived for periods of time but there are also people who have the ability to change their sleep quality and quantity, but choose not to for whatever reason. And they are just at such a huge disadvantage in every single way. Yeah. Dude, I'm, that's one of the things I'm worried about with the baby. I'm just like, oh, fuck, this is going to be tough. <laughs> but <laughs> I think in terms of more controllable situations, I was talking about that. I, I know you and I have spoken about this. I was talking about this with someone else the other day, just about how like how addicting the phone is. And how like how how you get these such huge dopamine hits from it, and how like you know it you might want to go to bed, but you're not getting the dopamine hit that you want. So like you might actually be tired, but then you stick that fucking phone in your face, like just to get more dopamine, and then it's like you're there for hours until eventually like you're almost you're almost like uh resistant to the dopamine at that point you just scroll for so many hours that where you're like you get tired not because like you've been exhausted for hours but now you're just like the dopamine doesn't do anything to you it's like it, it's not enough now like now it's like oh yeah i guess i'll go to bed because this isn't doing much anymore and that by that point it's two in the morning you're you're pressing the pedal to the metal on the pleasure side of the pleasure pain pendulum which out of the book dopamine nation that's like classic you, the only way to reset is to let yourself stop experiencing that pleasure, is to like sink into the pain, sit in the pain, so to speak. And uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's a, it's even more relevant when for creators too, because I think the dopamine spike that you get from positive feedback is bigger than the dopamine spike that you get from just like consuming enjoyable content. Yeah, especially, yeah, if you get positive feedback on a post, like a lot more than usual, man, there have been times where like, I'll, I'll delay my workout by like two hours. Cause I'm just like, 
fielding all this positive feedback and I'm like, it's, it time flies by, right? It's like, oh man, it goes by so fast. I'm like, geez, it's been two hours that I've just been stuck here looking at this positive feedback, stroking my ego and I should have just gotten my fucking workout in. It's interesting though, because negative feedback has a similar response in terms of the actions. Like if I get negative feedback, sometimes I'll I'll delay my workout by the same amount of time. It's not necessarily because the dopamine though. It's, it's a different response. I don't know what it actually, I like anger usually (laughs) like fuck you. And like, then I have to feel these and have these like wars with people, but like, yeah, both of them can lend to a very suboptimal, uh, lifestyle. So I was, I was ever since I've started doing more reels again and more content, I've noticed that behavior can creep back in and I'm trying to keep it in check. But yesterday, for example, I was having some debates with people and I just ended up delaying my workout by like almost two hours because I was just going going to town. So let me give you a little advice as someone who doesn't make content to someone who does make content about content. <laughs> okay. Here's And by the way, when this podcast drops, I might have a YouTube video up. Wow. I know I've said this many, many times, but there's a real chance that if you go to my YouTube channel right now, there is a video that has been uploaded within the last 24 hours. There's also a real chance that no, there isn't. Well, when is this going live? <laughs> when is this is this going live on next Thursday? I don't like to make any promises. Probably Monday. No, this podcast. Oh, Tuesday. Wow. Yeah. Then the po- then your video's up. You're listening to this. Mike's got a video up on YouTube right now. New one. <laughs> the, what I was going to say <laughs> was. Uh, Completely forgot. You forgot got the advice. Real distracted by the thought. You of, forgot the advice. Well, oh nope, I got it. What? It's almost like you need to separate yourself from you, the content creator, because you, the content creator, and there's Jordan's yawning so hard, just making me feel terrible about the start of this advice. Like he's like, <laughs> this is so boring. <laughs> Hurry up. You, the content creator. Has, has different reasons for wanting to make content, but I'm going to say the primary reason, especially since this is a business slash coaching podcast where we occasionally talk about that stuff, the primary purpose of making content is for growing your business, is for helping people with fitness stuff for free that, that feels good because you're helping people for free, but also attracts attention so you have the opportunity to sell to them. And so if we say that the primary reason that you, the content creator, is making stuff is for attention, then both positive and negative feedback are good. It's kind of the phrase, there is no bad press or the cliche, there's no bad press. Like all attention is good attention. And I I don't remember where I heard this, but there's essentially, if one of those people leaving negative feedback tells their friend, like, hey, can you believe this idiot? He thinks that like burpees are stupid and he wears wigs and like, this guy's just such a clown. I hate him. And then the friend goes to your page and is like, oh yeah, I I agree. Like burpees do seem like they don't have a real purpose and they're just for coaches who are trying to tire you out. And I actually think he's pretty funny. Like I like his sense of humor. They follow you. That person joins the inner circle in nine months. The fact that you had negative attention, quote unquote, hater is a good thing for business. Mm, yeah. So reframing all 
feedback as a good thing, all views as a good thing, all <laughs> Jordan's like, you just shut up, Mike. You don't even make content. You, I you can't wait don't until tell, you get negative don't feedback tell me on how one of your posts. <laughs> you're you're you going to be like, it. Mike, all attention is positive. <laughs> Go listen to episode 76. Um, yeah, I'm going to, but I'm also, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. I'm hyping myself up for this mindset strategy because the negative feedback isn't even on me. It's on the me that is making stuff for my business. It is on the marketing department of On The Regimen LLC. It's not It's not me, the human being. It's me, the, th- this is why Gary always said, Gary V's my side hustle. Like Gary Vaynerchuk and Gary V are different. They're, they're actually, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, in Fight Club when... Great movie. He, yeah, but Tyler Durden was like, that was him. It was the same, you know, oh, schizophrenia. You're not... <laughs> yeah. But with a practical, <laughs> practical usage and application, which is you create an alter ego that is useful. It's it's back to the Gary example, like Gary V and G- Gary V is my side hustle. Gary V, the content creator, is not the same as Gary Vaynerchuk, the person. And what happens to him is beneficial for the business, but isn't, you know, obviously has a lot of his ideas and principles and values, but isn't actually him mm. is a way to think about it. Yeah. So just just chew on, chew on that, George. <laughs> chew on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll get it one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But dude, reels, reels have really been crushing. Reels are they're definitely popping. the game. Yeah, yeah, they're popping. And they're so easy to make. That's the crazy part is like reels have been so easy to make. And I think it's so funny because I see all of these reels like where people are, you know, doing voiceovers and like learning all these dances and pointing. And I'm like, man, that that takes way more time than literally just taking 60 seconds to look into the camera and just give a quick lesson on something. It's just the reels are... And it's actually much easier because it the longest part of Instagram used to be writing the captions, but now with reels, I don't think as many people are reading the captions at all. Like, cause it's, it's not very user friendly to read the captions on reels because like the captions Seems intentional. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's difficult to read because the video is directly behind it. And so it's, it's more important just to get the words out on video, which like if you're a video person, man, reels are just, they're incredible. I'm excited. Yeah, can't wait to see you back on the real train. Back? What explain <laughs> not on the real train, but back on the Just real train. Back. Can't wait to see you back, comma, on the real train. <laughs> on the real on any train. I'd like to see uh just commuting. Just commuting. <laughs> what else is happening? Um let's see. Had a jiu-jitsu competition, won my first match, lost my second match. Got choked out real bad, but uh, choked him out in your first match. Yeah, choked my first guy out. Then I got choked out, but good learning experience. It was you know always always good to go against people better than you, so you can test your skill. And that's it. he was just he was just straight up better than I was. It wasn't like I made a mistake. He was just he was really good. So that was fun. You sound to me like a professional athlete in a post game interview. Oh yeah. You know how they're always like so polished and like say the right thing and <laughs> take always. the high road and like <laughs> I've heard some bad no, they don't ones. Always. But usually like yeah. you like good PR training. Yeah. Have you ever had PR training? No, I'm just thinking of was it Alan Iverson who was like 
we talking about practice? <laughs> yeah. Practice? Yeah. We ain't even talking about the game. We talking about practice. <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, that was that was an epic. Uh, that was one of moment. the best clips of all time. But you know what I mean for the for the most part. Yeah, they have really good PR training. But that just comes with having Dale Carnegie like in being the reincarnation essentially. <laughs> but way more jacked. I don't know. You've been coming more Dale like every day. That's because I learned from you. Oh, all right. And by the way, I Dale. haven't, but I am I am re-listening <laughs> to Are you listening? I know you said you listened to chapter one and you liked it. What was chapter one about? Their names? Uh no, chapter one was never criticize, complain, or one other thing. But the the emphasis was on not criticizing. Never Basically that you're not complaining or something else. <laughs> something, <laughs> something else, I forgot. <laughs> wasn't wasn't that good. You're never going to change someone or elicit change or even help someone or win an argument by criticizing them. And even if they're wrong, you don't give them the opportunity to uh, come to your side, call it, or, or discover the correct answer because you put them on the defensive and uh, and then they're just going to dig their heels in the sand and argue their point even harder by being criticized. You're looking at me like this is the most obvious thing that anyone's ever said. No, I'm I'm just I'm shaking my head because I'm like, man, what a what a real lesson. Like that should be what we should talk. We should dig into this more because people fucking love to criticize. Mm -hmm. They love to criticize, and I mean we see it in coaches with their clients. We see it with coaches against other coaches. We see it with content creators against other content creators. Like we like constant, we see it with people and their family members criticizing like it. People fucking love it. And I think one of the most important things to realize is that good business, like being a good business owner does not necessitate everyone knowing that you were right. Mm. It, it is not a requisite of a successful business for you to be right all the time. In fact, I would say if you being right or making it known that you're right makes other people feel criticized, it is bad for business. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a bad business strategy to make other people know you are right at the expense of someone else's, uh, I'm not going to say feelings, but at, yeah. at, the, at someone else's feelings. No, I'm not going to say their feelings. It's feelings... It's not necessarily their feelings. It's more about just like you needing to make people know that you are right. That's a bad look and that leads to criticism. If you if you need to have that last like, hey, I'm right about this or like, no, you're wrong and here's why. If you need to have that last that last say, that last word, you're probably going to suck in business. And I've, you and I have interacted with people like this. Like, and I have one person top of mind right now who always needs to, people to know that they're right. And they always pick an argument and they will not back down and not surprise their business is not doing anywhere near as well as they want it to do because they're always fucking picking arguments and fighting. If people say something to me that's wrong, most of the time I'll be like, oh, cool. That sounds really nice. And that's it. I'm not going to be like, well, actually, we're going to, if we, I, I don't do that unless they specifically ask me for my opinion or thought on something. But if someone says like, hey, this is working really well for me, I'm not going to be like, well, actually, that's a really stupid idea because what, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's such a good point. It's so accurate. And it requires, it requires what I believe is, uh, 
is emotional control and emotional discipline because it feels good, or at least for me, and I think this is pretty universal, it feels good to be right. And it feels good to let a person know that you're right, but you lose in business by doing it. I think, I think Dale even says in the book something along the lines of, uh, you know, when you criticize, you, you get the positive emotion of it, something about like you get the, the positive emotional release you're looking for, but at the expense of their reaction, the damage to the relationship, the, you know, if it's online, the damage to the, the look, if you're doing it in the comment section, how it looks to others on you, which is kind of reputation, but it requires something to swallow that emotion. Hmm. Like it, it I, I don't know exactly what it is, but in the moment, it's like a bitter pill. It doesn't feel good to like not get the last word and to just swallow it, but it is very beneficial in the mid to long term. Yeah. Yeah, man. That, it's such an important... I'm glad he made that chapter one. He must have been like, when he was planning out the book, he must have been like, what's the most... Realistically, like, he must have been like, what's the most important thing? Like, what do most people suck at? And most people criticize and they just always need to be right. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's why do you need to be right? It's literally, it's your own ego. It's an, it's an ego thing. And your ego will destroy your business and your relationships. Yeah. Is it hard for you though? Like if you, if you get frustrated with someone. It depends on the person and it depends on the topic. I'll give you an example. Uh, with my mom, it's very difficult for me. Mm. With my mom. And when that's one of the reasons why my mom and I, we have some real debates. Now, it's also, I think, part of our culture. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say Jewish culture, but definitely the culture that I was brought up in with her. She's a lawyer. She likes debating. We Ever since we were a kid, like she's always encouraged debating. But like it, with my mom, I'm, it's, I'm much more likely to say, no, that's incorrect. And I, I think that comes with family and people who are much closer to you. It's, you know, there's, it's interesting. Sometimes on social media, there's such a distance between you that you can still say like, no, you're fucking wrong. It's easier to say that because in the same way, it's easier to criticize someone on social media because you're not going to get punched in the face, mm -hmm. right? Like it's easier to criticize someone on social media than it is in person. I think it's easier to criticize either that someone that has a massive distance from you or someone that's super close to you. That's like very, very, very close to you. That like middle range is like tends to be where we be maybe a little bit more politically correct and aware and like maybe like, okay, well, I don't want to push that button because I don't know their response or I just want to be polite, whatever it is. But when politeness isn't necessarily needed because there's so much distance and or because you're so close to them, it's easier to just say like, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to be right. So my mom is really the only one that I do that with. Um, yeah. You can, you can quote unquote brawl with your mom on a topic and the next morning you guys are just, Oh, I mean, it's literally like we could it doesn't, brawl. It doesn't impair the relationship. It doesn't even go to the next morning. It's like, we could have a huge, yeah. huge debate and then literally like, okay, cool. I love you so much. Have a good night. And that's it. And yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. and then it's all forgotten and we could even go on to have a great conversation. But, um, that's a, a unique relationship that I think is is unique, not just for my mom and myself, but in general having, you don't have many of those relationships in your life. Mm -hmm. Like in your life as a whole, you know, when you're a kid and you're just like, if you have a, a great childhood, you'll have a lot of friends. You're like, oh, I have friends here, friends here, friends here. As you get older, you have fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer friends. There's a couple of really close ones that you have. The number of people in my life that like I could just full on debate with and know that once the debate is over, like we're still loving a hundred percent is I could count that on a couple of fingers, you know? Yeah. 
It's a good topic. It's a great book. It's a it's a must read. Yeah, I just think I I want to think about how we can go more in on this because I, I know like you know what I'm talking about. Some people just they need to get the last word in, whether it's with clients or on social media. It's just it's not a good look. And I'm really and for some reason people really struggle with this. For me, I I, I think I'm I'm it, I'm lucky because it naturally comes to me, and I just know. I know like if I, if there's something to get out of what, what we need to get this video it comes, podcast. It, come, it, it, it comes easy to you with fitness now, but if someone was debating certain topics, I think we talked about this politics, we'll say, or, or even just like, you know, middle East specifically politics. Oh, you I, could say I, Israel. I think it, <laughs> i know you're checked out mike you're allowed to say Israel. if if we uh discuss the i don't know the middle east region of the world something <laughs> um you, you you would be less likely to give up that last word oh yeah no that's that's one that i would i would definitely yeah, you're right. You're hundred. It, yeah, it depends on the topic for sure. And I think I'm more desensitized to fitness stuff now. Where I'm like, I've heard it all. Whatever. I don't give a shit. Believe whatever you want. Yeah. 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 Oh, you carbs are the devil. Okay, never eat a carb again. See ya. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in the Middle East discussion. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. I can't wait till we get the video for this. It's gonna be so much better. Uh, um. Yeah. It's it's hard to do for a lot of things, but it's beneficial for especially, I mean, for any personal relationships, but especially when it comes to, I actually, I actually like the idea less in personal relationships because there's part of me that like, if a, if a aggressive debate ends the friendship, was it really a friendship? If you can't like debate ideas strongly and then be on the same page, um, you know, I, th I think if you're like skirting the issue, it actually fractures the personal relationship. But when it comes to being a public facing content creator and having a goal of growing a business that it's, it's just good. It's a good tactic. We'll call it. Yeah. 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 That's exactly right. That this is sort of sliding off to a different topic, but that just made me think of big clip of Elon going viral after his offer to buy Twitter for $40 billion, which is insane. The, the discussion around free speech. And he was like, free speech is, does someone that you don't like, or is someone that you don't like allowed to say something that you don't like? If they are, then you have free speech. If not, then you don't. And I was just like, man, savage. I love that. It's like, is someone that you don't like allowed to say something that you don't like? If not, then you don't have free speech. That seems like a good definition. Yeah, I like that a lot. You you think he's going to buy Twitter? Dude, oh man. I I don't think they're going to allow him to. I don't think I think there's a and we're going this is going more into politics and stuff. But did you hear that Vanguard apparently bought the the new uh like highest share like Vanguard apparently bought like 10% of Twitter? I th I I, ass I assume they already had a, s a decent percentage and that they increased their stake because Elon bought 9.2 before and they increased their stake so that they now own more than 10% of the company. I did see that. Yeah. So that makes me think, <laughs> I think there's so, I think there's so much going on behind the scenes right now. Um, that we don't with, know. That we don't know about, I think with, with politicians and I think it's, it's Twitter is mainly a political platform. 
Like if we look at the majority of users, I think it's mostly politicians and politics, news, media. And I think that there's a, there's a lot of scrambling behind the scenes right now to not allow him to do it to people trying to making chess moves to make it so that he can't do that. Cause if he did, there could be real, there, there would be without question, real political changes as a result of it. The entire landscape would change and it would, it would change the entire precedent of, of this would just be the first move of many. I think it would be really cool if he did. I think it would be one of the most badass fucking moves of the modern of modern history. I think it would be it would be written about in books. I, I think like it could literally change it could change the entire social media world. So I think it would be really cool to see that. Um, I don't know if they're going to let it happen. I I think I don't know that Twitter would change as much as you think it would change. I think the main way that it would change is there'd be far less censorship, far less deplatforming, far less banning. For- yeah, that's what I think would happen. Oh, okay, okay. And and that by keeping more people on, that would change the dynamic of the platform. I think if Elon were to go in, based on from what I've seen with him and and just with politically, I think that he's tired of, of censorship, which I mm-hmm. think a huge portion of people are tired of censorship. Um, I mean, it, for example, it doesn't make sense. And and I, I'll preface this just because of what I'm about to say doesn't mean I support this individual. Doesn't mean like keep that in mind. It doesn't make sense. Let them know, Jordan. That, let them know. It doesn't make sense that Donald Trump Don't let them clip this. doesn't have a Twitter, but Al Qaeda and the Taliban and Vladimir Putin and dictators around the world have Twitters. Why in the hell? Is Donald Trump not allowed to say something, but these other dictators and terrorist organizations are allowed? It doesn't make sense. And 100%. that's why people don't trust Twitter. They don't trust social media platforms. It's a, And I think that Elon, in terms of like free speech, he's like, hey, this isn't right. Like, I think if we're going to give people a platform, give them a platform. And, uh, and we have to own that. So I think it would be far less censorship. And I think it would be a great opportunity for other social media platforms to to uh, stop the censorship that they've been having because the censorship has been huge and it's been quite frankly petrifying to see on such a large scale. And I think again the the censorship that's happened over the last couple of years will be written about in history books long after we're gone. So we won't necessarily see it, but. The things that we've been duped into, the things that we've been blinded by, the things that we weren't allowed to see due to censorship, mm-hmm. our great our grandkids and great grandkids and so on will be like, holy shit, I can't believe that's what happened to our our ancestors. Yeah, I agree. The you you need open communication with people you disagree with to reach resolution and to reach compromise. And by banning people because you disagree with them. And and sure, you can say like, well, they did something that violated the terms and conditions and this is a publicly traded company and they're allowed to do this. And and that's actually correct. That is correct. It doesn't doesn't mean that uh, having tight TOC to to make it easier to deplatform people is good for society at large and is good for, um, for all of us because it's important to, like I just said, it's important to have open dialogue with people you disagree with, whether it's on a giant national and global scale or whether it's within your neighborhood or within your family. 
Mm-hmm. But but and I agree. Like it's if it's a if it's someone else owns the company, they can do whatever they want with it. They can deplatform whoever they want. Fine, I agree with that. But then if Elon buys it and makes it a private company, then you can't get mad at him if he allows them to come back. And that's where I see people getting upset about it. Like oh, like first the people get mad because like we were like, well, you can't just deplatform and censor these people. It's like, well, no, you can because it's it's their company. Fine, cool. But then if Elon owns it, buys it back, and now it's his company. Well, cool. Now you can't be upset about it because it's his company now. Um, so, and, and the other thing is a lot of people, this is what a lot of people don't, they really struggle with this. This is a really a difficult topic for people to hear about. Um, in the same way that I think making stand-up comedy can be difficult for people. Like some people don't understand how comics can make jokes about certain situations. I'm of the opinion, and I've said this a million times, like you can joke about literally anything. There could be, I don't, there's nothing that's off limits and trying to censor someone's speech. It's very dangerous. And so I know a lot of people say, well, we're censoring them because they have dangerous ideas. That is one of the single most dangerous things that could ever come out of someone's mouth. We're censoring them because they have dangerous ideas. That is the sign of a dictator. That is how, how major wars have broken out. That's how genocides happen. When a group of people decide to not allow someone to speak because of their ideas. That is why the First Amendment is the most important of all the amendments, because it allows everyone to speak their mind. And even if you don't agree with them, and especially if you don't agree with them, they should still be able to speak their mind. I don't care if it's a quote-unquote dangerous idea. You can't censor that, because where does that end? Where, like, what? And well, then who, someone always- who, 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 who decides what a dangerous idea is too? Yeah. And and not to mention the way that you beat a dangerous idea is with open dialogue and good ideas. Correct. And healthy debate and open communication. And and then it, maybe it was a dangerous idea or, or maybe it wasn't. There are always then some people say, well, you know, not all speech is free. For example, like you can't go into a movie theater and, and yell fire. I'm like, well, of course. That's, that's because that's an incitement. That's like if you're incited – in the same way, like I can't say like, I'll give someone, like I can't tweet out or I can't put out publicly, I'm going to give someone X amount of dollars to murder this person. Of course, that's illegal because that's, I'm inciting someone to violence. If you're in a crowded movie theater and you you yell fire, well, now you're inciting people to get up. You could be trampled. You could get really hurt. Like that makes sense. But in terms of expressing ideas, that is different. That is express, there's a it's different to express a thought or idea than it is to incite someone to action. That is two very different things. And that has to be understood. And people get really upset when you have that discussion, but there should be nothing off limits in terms of what, what you can say about what you think. When did we start hating Elon collectively? Because I remember in like 13, 14, 15, 16, uh, he was like this this tech god, this like innovator, this cool like Tony Stark character, liked from you know all ends of the political spectrum. Is it is is he hated because of in the last several years this this general disdain for the wealthiest in our society? Yes. Or I was yeah, that's, that's, what that's I was why. About to say. I think it's because income inequality, and it's just like okay, anyone who has billions like. They're, they shouldn't be allowed to have that much, no matter how they got it, and that's wrong, and they're a bad person. Yeah, I mean, people could see that you know Jeff Bezos built Amazon from literally nothing. They they can see that and know that he wasn't just gifted billions of dollars, but they're not going to like him because he has so much money because he has billions and billions and billions of dollars. Same thing with Elon, where it's like it's uh, I think there's a certain 
there will always be a group of people that no matter what they, they say, they say like taglines, like billionaires shouldn't exist. It's like that to me doesn't make any sense. Not to mention like how many jobs they create, how much the economy they fuel, like how much they contribute. I mean, how fucking awesome was it when Ukraine was like, hey, Elon, we need help. And they tweeted to Elon like, hey, we need help with this, like this server. And Elon was like, cool, done. In an hour, he got it for them. An individual, not a government, not anything. They tweeted to Elon and Elon got it done because of what he's been able to create. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like people who just hate someone because they have like billionaires shouldn't exist, like shut up like come on like what a stupid tagline to stand behind it's stupid i'm with you we this could be a two-hour podcast about this alone but we don't need to dive in or or we could we could go more (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love this discussion if you're feeling this discussion drop a five star you know we always like positive (laughs) reviews positive feedback and uh, negative feedback's good too because it's attention, as we discussed. But positive's even better for the podcasting world. And let's dive into some Q and A. Drop some fitness knowledge, coaching knowledge, business knowledge. Let's see what you got. All right, med student here. What's something you wish doctors did better when you see them? It's a good question. I don't. I don't like criticizing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I like, like. It doesn't feel like it's my place to, to uh, you know, don't uh, don't criticize the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own eye. I I don't feel like I'm in any position to to uh, talk about reformation of the health and medical, medical community industry. I'll give some thoughts. I'll give some thoughts based on not necessarily on what all doctors are doing poorly, but on what I've seen when I have an experience with a good experience versus when I have a poor experience, right? So the doctors that I have known, like I have a a great experience with are the ones that essentially have the most empathy, Mm. right? So when, when, when I walk in there, and, and I was I was speaking to Susan about this because Susan's, you know, she's had issues with some AFib recently. And and Susan was saying how like sometimes she'll go into the doctor and like they'll just be so nonchalant in terms of like she could ha- she's worried she has a real issue and they're just sort of like brushing it off. Like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. And she's like, well, hold on. I don't feel that way. And I like I need a little bit of reassurance. And I think sometimes doctors like in any field the more you do something, the more, um, the more resistant to it you get, the more used to it you get. And it's easy just to forget that the person you're dealing with is a real person with feelings and emotions. And, um, I think some doctors would do really well to remember that your patient might be nervous, might be anxious and not necessarily to give them false hope. Cause I know doctors can't do that. Doctors can't just say, Oh, it's going to be fine. I know they can't say that because that could be incorrect. And there are a lot of potential legal issues, ethical issues with that. But just, I, and I know they're a rush and they have a huge backlog of patients coming in, da da da. But just like being a little bit more empathetic on the whole and understanding like, Hey, I know you're feeling nervous right now. We're going to get to you as soon as we can. And I promise we're going to give you a full update once we have all the information. Just something like that could be enough to calm the nerves to make them like feel a little bit heard. That's what, that's what I would think. I think that's a great idea. I'll, I'll throw the stone that I wasn't going to throw. But <laughs> I, I don't know how 
this practically gets implemented, but, and, and I don't even know that it can, or I, I wouldn't know how, but the, the focus on essentially being mostly reactive compared to preventative is a shift that uh, would benefit all of us oh, yeah. rather than, you know, wait until it's too late and then throw medication at it, which, which isn't what a lot of doctors do. But, but in general, moving along the continuum of being a little bit less reactive and a little bit more preventative uh, would, would serve everyone well, which I think is actually something we as coaches are, are a part of the solution of. I think that, you know, getting people focused on their health, their weightlifting, their cardio, their nutrition, their sleep, their stress management, all of these things we do for our clients is preventative um, and, and is making them healthier. And, uh, and it's actually one of, you know, maybe reason number three or four, but in the YouTube video that I made that may be up right now, I, I talk about that being like a motive, an actual motivator on, on, in addition to other things. But the fact that we in the West are really struggling with our health. And uh, I think that many of the ideas that we share on this podcast regularly, many of the things we talk about, all the things that Jordan crushes in his content are, are ideas that when implemented are really helping people become healthier, have higher quality of life, live longer, feel better. And so- I guess I would like to see more of that uh, from doctors. I'm not sure how that gets done, though. Yeah, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna tag on to that. That just made me think of something that has nothing to do with doctors, but um, and we might have spoken about this before. But I really think a lot of coaches. This is a like a direct message to all the coaches listening to this. I think a lot of coaches really underestimate the value of what they say on social media about health and fitness. It's, if you really think about it, the people who have the most direct impact on our society as a whole's health and fitness, not even just like uh, domestically, I'm talking international impact worldwide across the health and fitness of the entire world. It, it's you, it is the individual with your voice on your platform. The, like it's the amount of impact that you can make in people's health in society at large is fucking insane. You don't need a huge audience to do it. You don't like helping one person changes society as a whole help. Like, it is a massive, massive, massive wave like impact that impacts an individual, which can impact their family, which can impact more families, which can impact generations, which can impact so much with just what you have to say. And I know we have like the CDC and we have the World Health Organization. We have all these different programs and companies and da, da, da. Those, no one looks at those companies for health advice. Like not to mention, they're not really giving away good health advice. Like they're not being like, hey, like let's make sure you're doing this type of exercise. Let's like make sure you're doing your, this technique. Like so much of what they talk about is actually more reactionary rather than uh, than preventative. So like, and that's actually been a major issue over the last couple of years. There's been very little discussion around movement and exercise and sleep and getting outside. And in fact, sometimes even the opposite. It's the the voice that you have don't underestimate that the the voice that you have forget your business let's just talk about 
leaving a legacy behind that that people can look back on in, in terms of how you helped people, the type of person that you were. It's like the voice that you have to change the health of society as a whole is unbelievably powerful. And I think far more powerful than many of these massive organizations. So if if you're not making content, you're thinking about it, you're not sure if it's worth it, shut the fuck up and start making content. Like it can change people's lives forever. Preach. Um, okay, let's see. Is it appropriate to say Mazal Tov to my Jewish friend who just had a baby boy? Thank you in advance. Yes. Mazal Tov is a, or Mazal Tov is. Hang on, hang on, uh, hang on. What? I'd like, I'd like to field this one. Okay. You answer I feel this like one. I, I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you answer this one. You know more about Judaism than I do. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, Mike? What's the answer? Well, I pronounce it Mazal Tov. And I and yeah, I say it to my Jewish friends for celebratory moments. Yeah, yeah, it's it's congratulations. So it is a good question because you don't say it when someone gets pregnant. So like you don't say congratulations to someone to it. Like for example, when when we found out when my wife was pregnant in Judaism, you don't say congratulations because there's like a lot of superstition in Judaism. And so they, you don't want to say congratulations before the baby is born. There's actually no baby showers in Judaism for that reason, because you're essentially celebrating the baby before it's born and, you know, superstition, you don't want to jinx it essentially. So in Hebrew, what you would say is you'd say, uh, Bisha, Bisha like in, in, which is essentially saying like, um, in the coming hours is what it translates to, but like, all, all in good time, right? Is it, sort of what it means. So, and then you say Mazel Tov or Mazel Tov or congratulations once they're once they're actually born. What's the difference between the two that you're saying? It's the exact same thing. One is just saying it really white, and the other one is just saying it a little bit more 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 properly. So yeah. you say um, I got a you, lot of I got a lot of Northern Euro in my genetics. I say Mazel Tov. <laughs> you're like Mazel Tov. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like if you're saying it like a little bit more correct in terms of dialect, you say Mazel Tov. That's good to know. I don't think I, I don't think I have the, the tongue mobility for that. I, also, you you can just copy what other people are saying. Yeah. On some group threads, that's what I'll do. If I see a few mazels in a row, I'll throw one out there too. It's interesting. In English, we emphasize like we generally emphasize the syllable earlier in the word, whereas in Hebrew you emphasize the syllable later in the word. Mm. So in English you say mazel tov. In Hebrew you say mazal tov, right? So it's like you can hear the first syllable in English, like ma versus Mazal. Does that make sense? So it's like yeah, definitely. The English, you emphasize the syllable earlier in the word, which is just one way to make the accent a little bit better. That makes sense. So it's sort of like you know, everyone knows shalom. It's like shalom, mm-hmm. <laughs> or it sounds like super mm-hmm. white when you say it, or it's like like it's not like shalom. It's like shalom. Super English would actually be technically correct, right? Not super white. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 seriously. I'm, <laughs> right? I'm making it a racial issue. <laughs> <laughs> we got so Elon Musk. White. We got <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, because here, here's why I ask. Here's because I I have many. You're not my only Jewish friend, Jordan. You, I have many Jewish friends, but many? I think they're probably yeah. <laughs> you want me to? I'll dig. I'll I'll name some names right now. I could rattle off more names. What's your over under? How many names I'm about to drop? Four. 
higher. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's, I've only heard Mazel Tov, but I also don't think that they have spent time in Israel. And so I think maybe that has something to do with it. They they probably speak Mm. less Hebrew than you. They yeah, less time in the Middle East. Yeah. (laughs) 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 But but what you're saying is that the the way that I'm pronouncing it is more with an English accent compared to how it would be said in Israel. Yeah. Yeah. More white. <laughs> I'd like to be technically correct about this thing. Listen, don't criticize Mike. We already spoke about that. <laughs> I'm 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 really trying to get to the bottom of this and I feel like Jordan's making it a big joke. <laughs> uh all right, next questions. No, 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 no. <laughs> why have all of my Jewish friends why does no one say it that way? Are they just not as uh yeah, well I mean listen there's like there's different dialects as well. They're just saying it more English? Um, there, I mean, it's funny, like for example, it's a, if anyone's Jewish listening, they're going to laugh when they hear this, but like everyone knows, like not everyone, but a lot of people know the Jewish prayer often starts with Baruch Adonai, right? Like Baruch Adonai, if you've ever been to a bar mitzvah, you've heard that phrase. Um, for whatever reason, a lot of the very old Jews from Eastern Europe, they say Baruch Ata Adonai, and it's like. It's one like for me, like I've always wanted to do a stand-up skit about this because there's like at a certain age, for whatever reason, they stop saying Adonai and they say Adonoi. It's like Baruch Hata Adonoi. They always do it. And so there's like there's different dialects. I mean, you have Ashkenazi, you have Sephardic, you have different areas in the Middle East where they might come from. So it's like it's different different regions will ha- say something a little bit differently. But generally speaking, it's sort of like um, you have anyone with an accent and they start speaking English, they're going to say things a little bit differently just because they have that accent. So you have a lot of people who maybe they, they're they born in America and they learn Hebrew at Hebrew school, but they don't learn the accent. So they say things a little bit incorrectly or not as, it w- as they would say in Israel. Understood. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's very white. all right someone said track macros if i hit proteins and fat intake is higher than carbs how will that if jordan comes off of the the, this discussion he's like oh macros this will put him in a good mood (laughs) that's exactly what Keep going. I'm already excited. Uh, tracking macros. If I hit my protein numbers and my fat intake is higher than carbohydrates, how is that going to affect my body composition? So pro- protein's on point. They're a little over on fat, a little under on carbs, and calories are on point, I assume? Yeah, we'll assume that. It's not going to affect your body composition. Okay. That's that's basically all that needs to be said. That At the extremes of very high fat, very low carb, uh, it can be detrimental primarily to training performance and uh, especially for um, more like bodybuilding style training or training in rep ranges that require glycogen as the primary fuel source and very low fat, very high carb 
but you got to be very low fat and you have to be very intentional about it can uh, can be detrimental from like a hormonal perspective but realistically if you're within a reasonable range on carbs and fats uh it doesn't matter if if you're going over or under but but just make sure you're not like you know over by 60 grams of fat and under by 10 grams of carbs which would drive calories to be way over like yeah protein close calories close and then if carbs and fat are a little off you're fine if carbs and fat are way off and one is extraordinarily low there could be some downside to that does going for a walk count as neat or eat and for anyone who doesn't know neat is non-exercise activity thermogenesis and eat is exercise activity thermogenesis. It's sort of like a sort of minutia detail, but it's important as a coach to understand the difference between the two. So Mike, does going for a walk count as neat or eat? Is it exercise or is it non-exercise is essentially what it's asking. I think, I think going for a walk, I would throw under exercise activity thermogenesis. I it's it's intentional activity even if you're not doing it specifically to burn calories like you're out you're going for a walk it's different from washing dishes or raking leaves or like some activity that has a different end going for a walk kind of the 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 it's not a means to an end where you know your movement is a means to getting the dishes clean going for a walk is an end in itself and that end is movement so i, I would you know, we're splitting hairs a little, but I would put it under EAT. Yeah, I agree. I really think it depends on it depends on why you're doing what you're doing, right? And that's where I think where some people get confused. If you're taking your dog on a walk because your dog needs to go out to use the bathroom and needs to get steps in, I would consider that neat. But if you're deliberately going on a walk just for yourself to get movement in, that is eat. That's exercise activity. If if you're doing something specifically for exercise purposes, that is inherently not neat. Because neat is anything you're doing that has nothing to do with planned exercise. It's just you do it as part of living. So some people, like someone who has a dog will probably have a higher neat than someone who doesn't have a dog. Because if you're out there walking your dog every day, you, it, that's not planned exercise. That's because you got to get your dog out. That's your responsibility. So so oftentimes I do wonder in the research where we see some people have like 700, they burn 700 calories a day more in from NEAT than other people. Sometimes I wonder like, did they have a dog? Did they, you know what I mean? Like what what was going on in their life that caused that that such a higher calorie burn from non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So it's completely splitting hairs. It's super minutia. Your clients do not need to know this. Uh, it's it's not a conversation you need to have with them. But I do see a lot of people using NEAT incorrectly. Like they say, like, go on a walk to increase your NEAT. And I'm like, well, technically that's incorrect. Like it's, it, it's planned exercise, so it's eat. But it doesn't fucking matter. Just move. Yeah. How do I motivate my son to lose some weight he gained at university? It's a good question. I don't know that you do. And I think it really depends on like, what are we talking about here? Did, what did he put on the freshman 15 and he's, you know, went there lean and he's got a little chunk to him now, or are we talking about, uh, you know, someone who gained a lot of weight in the 18 to 22 year old range and put themselves in a position where they're 
don't know why Jordan thinks this is funny, but puts them in a position where they're unhealthy or potentially unhealthy. I'm just thinking answer... of the story that you told me when you when you were in college, when you decided oh, <laughs> I'm literally over this here is, holding my breath, trying this not is to what, laugh. This is basically when my life changed. I don't know if this story has ever been told, but there was for some reason at, at my freshman dorm, we had a bunch of because our hockey buddies, the guys a grade below us, we were good friends with. They were seniors in high school and they came to visit Wisconsin for, might've been Halloween was a big party there. And there was a picture taken of someone in their boxers in the bathroom, like kind of like bent over. And uh, I don't I don't know what was going on. And you know, back then you up, people would upload their entire camera roll to Facebook. Yeah. It wasn't even- there was no and, like, and so was like go I'll just upload all this to Facebook. No tagging. <laughs> yeah. So it was some random like blurry picture with like, you know, one guy's like brushing his teeth and one guy's standing there and you can't see faces. And and I was like, oh man, Schuper, like one of our buddies, like, you know, gained a feel, you know, love handles, <laughs> yeah. like lower like, back. Yeah, Schuper's like, looking pretty chunky. <laughs> he's looking a little thick in this one. And they're like, that ain't Shoop. I'm like, huh? They're like, that's you. I was like, what? I was like, oh, those are my Tommy Hilfiger boxer shorts. I was like, oh, man. Like, I need to dial things in. Because in that first semester, we had access to the cafeteria. Our chefs, Otis and Rico, who were absolute beasts, would, you know, the, the like, tomato bisque soup, the chicken patty with, with Velveeta cheese on it, the, just all of the extra calories. And it, it, you had a swipe card, so you weren't paying a la carte. You're loading up, filling up on food, drinking on the weekends, like, you know, living like a degenerate. And, uh, and I saw that picture and I was like, okay, time to <laughs> dial things in. So it was grilled chicken for me after that. And, uh, you know, started getting after the weights a little bit more and you got on the regimen more fruit and I got on the regimen. That's correct. So what you're saying is show them a picture. <laughs> show this person. <laughs> I, yeah, it's it's so tricky because with parent to child, it really depends on your relationship, depends on history, depends on it, you know, has your son or daughter struggled with their weight before? Is this kind of a first time thing? Is is nutrition and exercise something that you guys talk about as a family, that you participate in as a family? Is it kind of foreign to you? Um I, I think it's a delicate situation. I think the worst mistake you make is, you know, without context, is being that overbearing, critical parent because that you know tying the episode in full circle, going straight at him, your son, and criticizing him and telling him he needs to do X can only make him dig his heels in and go the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. There's a. Uh... Nothing good is going to come from criticizing them. And this goes for anybody, whether you're a coach, whatever it is, like criticizing people, shaming them is is not going to help them make the change that they need to change, that they that they know they need to change. Um, I think one of the most important parts was was you brought up early on, you were talking about how, all right, does it matter if, or not does it matter, you were talking about if, um, did they just gain like the freshman 15 or was it? a ton of weight like did they gain like 50 to 100 pounds over over their time if it's becoming a real health issue 
then then you can start to have conversations and and discuss like listen like nothing i wouldn't say anything negative i would say like hey like are you all right? Let's talk. And if you need help, I'm happy to find you help with a nutritionist or with a psychologist. Like I would honestly try to let them know you're there to support them without you being the one to necessarily try and institute change. Right. I think like if you could outsource that working with family is super difficult, like giving advice to family is super difficult that just as long as you know, you support them and you're there to help them get the help they need it should be as little with you as possible and the majority with a professional. Um, even if you are a professional, I think the majority should be with someone else because working with family is very difficult. Um, if it's just like the freshman 15 or 20, like I, I'm not worried about it. You know, they're in college. That's, I think that's a, a very normal part of college and it, it, it's not like a real health risk and a lot, it happens a lot. So I, I wouldn't worry about that at all. And if that was the case, I wouldn't even bring it up. And I definitely wouldn't like do the thing that a lot of family members and friends do where they like, they make fun of them for it. They tease him for it. Like, Oh, clearly gained the freshman 15. Like I would not do that. Uh, or like looking a little thick, like I wouldn't do that. Uh, I would just ignore it. And just, it's, it's just part of college, I think. And part of, you know, there are different seasons in life. Sometimes you'll gain weight, sometimes you'll lose weight. But if it, if it gets like either they lose a lot of weight or they gain a lot of weight, that's when a conversation needs to be had and just started with letting them know how much you love them and that you're there for them no matter what. I love it. Great answer. Uh, full, full circle, first full circle. There's no such thing as a white accent. <laughs> this has really been in your head. <laughs> Bro, I'm joking. No, no, but I'm curious. Are you talking about a Western English accent? No, I'm saying it's Michael Scott says it all the time. Michael Scott will like joke around and be like, God, you're so white. Like, oh, okay. and he's like the whitest of the white. It's just a joke, man. Come on. Yeah, but most of your jokes make sense and this one didn't. It does make sense. You're just, you're so upset by how society has vilified white men that when I said that, it really <laughs> pressed a button. That's probably true. <laughs> how like white men have become like the most hated group of all groups and as soon as i make a joke about it you're like but it's it's not white (laughs) it was also incorrect blood in the veins istj i'm just uh, we can set the joke aside but what you actually mean is an english accent i don't know if it's english because i'm pretty sure english is is like british I don't, I don't, is there like an English accent I would imagine is like a, oh, okay. in, a from in, England, in American, an American, an American accent. accent. Yeah. But even then, if we really want to dig deeper, which is now no longer making the joke funny, when you break a joke down like this, it is now okay. no longer fucking funny. But I, like, want, I American, want to understand like, what you meant. What's American? Cause like um, Texas is American, Northeast, like the Pacific Northwest, like they have so many different accents in America. That's why like the joke is just, you're so white. It's almost, it's funny. Cause like, it doesn't even really make sense, especially coming from a white guy, you know? So like, it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I also, but you're kind of white passing because, because (laughs) the Jewish white thing ever since the Whoopi Goldberg incident, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, I got a lot of people ask me about my thoughts on the Whoopi Goldberg incident. So it's funny, like some Jews say that like, this is actually a huge discussion among Jews. Some Jews are like, no, we're not a race. And other Jews are like, yes, we are a race. I very, I think that Judaism is a race. I do think that. Um, But I'm like, I'm white 
right? Clearly I'm fucking white, but like I'm Jewish, which like it's, this is honestly one of the reasons why I hate all these like identity politics because it's, it's like, why are we like, I don't know. Like, why the fuck does it matter? Like, I, I just don't, I don't like identity politics. I don't know why it matters, but this is a whole big debate. It's like, I, I'm Jewish and my skin color is white, but when I go to the Middle East, like I get really tan and people think that like, I'm, I'm not, you know, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't fucking know, but it's uh that's like a whole philosophical debate that we could really get into in terms of whether or not Judaism is a race. And I, I believe it is, but yeah. Well, it, yeah. And it's culture. It, it's the only thing that's also religion, also culture and also, and it's not uh, like you got to break out race as skin color versus as uh, country demographic, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Like it's like, oh, that person's white. It's like, well, is he Irish or is he Italian or is he Norwegian? Right. Like, are, are you Jewish? Are you Russian? Mm-hmm. Because it wouldn't that be what you're like your 23 and me would say that your Ashkenazi Jew is Russian, right? Not necessarily. Or the, major- so, so the majority of- Ashkenazi is just like Eastern European. So it could be Russian. It could be Hungarian. It could be Latvian. It could be, uh, it could be Polish, it, like anywhere like Eastern Europe. It could be in any of those areas. Okay. But I mean, for example, for example, and this is one of the arguments or discussion points around like why Judaism is a race is because, for example, in Russia- and also in Germany, like in all over the world, Jews haven't been allowed to be citizens. So, for example, in Russia, Jews weren't allowed to be citizens. In Germany, Jews weren't allowed to be citizens. They were literally on their passport. It did not say Russian citizen, did not say German. It said Jew. So they were not allowed to be a citizen because, not because of the color of their skin, but because of their race, which they said they are a Jew. That's their race. And the Nuremberg race laws of Germany like explicitly denied people the ability to, to marry a Jewish individual, to have kids with a Jewish individual based on that, that race of them being Jewish. So that, I think race goes further than, than skin color in many situations. Um, so yeah, that, that's like barely breaking the, the, the discuss- breaking open into the discussion of why Judaism is also a race. But yeah, it's it would be like my family probably came from Russia and Hungary, but I they weren't actually Russian. Right. They they were not allowed to say they were Russian. They they didn't have the rights of Russian citizens. For example, like that's why my great grandfather came from Russia when he was 12 years old, because Jews at Jewish boys at 12 years old under Tsar Nicholas were required to join the Russian army. And if you if you Google this, it will come right up. It'll, and I know this like verbatim. Twelve year old Jewish boys were put at the front lines of Tsar Nicholas's army to specifically be used as what they called cannon fodder, because they they wanted to try and get rid of the Jews. So they would take twelve year old boys and put them in the front lines, and they were the first ones to die. So my great grandfather, when he was twelve, like he escaped Russia and came to the United States, and like that's how he got here. Um, but yeah, so that that's why that's one aspect of why it's a whole debate around is Judaism a race or not. Have you had to go into this? Like, have any body positivity influencers been like this f- fat phobic, fat loss, straight white male, calorie believing guru, Instagram, whatever? And you had to be like, actually, I'm Jewish. <laughs> Has that I've, happened yet? I've never <laughs> done that just because. I think it could be a bad look for, I think it would be a bad look because essentially I'm not a fan of playing identity politics, period. 
And if I denied that, if I was like, no, well, actually I'm Jewish, I'm, I'm still playing identity politics. And I'm essentially saying, well, no, it's okay for me to say that because I'm not white, I'm Jewish. It's like, no, no, let's get out of this skin color game and let's just discuss what I said rather than you pointing to the color of my skin or my religion. Like, so I, I don't even, I don't bring that up because my skin color, my religion is irrelevant to what's actually being said. You know, so, so that's why I would never actually say that. Mm -hmm. Or I never have said that. You know what I mean? Debate the idea. Yes, it makes complete sense. Yeah. Great episode. I feel like this is a real like moth becoming a butterfly episode of life, episode 75, 76, wherever we are. Thank you very much for listening. We enjoyed having you. We enjoyed this conversation. Please leave a five-star review if you have not already and uh, have a tremendous week. Have a great one. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>